My name's Seamus Cornelius. I'm the executive chairman of Danakali Limited. We're developing the Kaluli Potash Project, which is in Eritrea in East Africa. It's a massive open cut potash mine in the Danakil Depression. And our plan is to produce SOP, which is sulfate of potash, which is a premium potash fertilizer. We'll be producing that for about 200 years. Module one is going to produce 472,000 tonnes and we'll quickly expand from there. Seamus, thank you very much. Good introduction. Um, Rod, nice to have you on the, on the call. Rod, do you want to give yourself a quick introduction as well? Sure. Thanks, Merlin. My name is Rod McEachran. I'm the Chief Operating Officer with Danicali. I'm a chemist by training and I spent uh, uh, over 30 years uh, in the potash industry, first with Potash Corp, now Nutrien. And for a little over the past year, I've been uh, working with Danicali um, with my number one priority, the refinement of the process for processing uh, Kluli ore into SOP. Great. Thank you. Um, Seamus, Rod, really good to have you, um, have you both on the call. Now, um, <clears throat> I've, I've known a little bit about Danicali for probably 10 years now, but um, just perhaps as kind of an, by way of orientation. Um, Seamus, could you just remind me of uh, where the project is and where it's got to in its development stage? Okay, no problem, Melvin. Actually, we've been working on Kaluli, which is our project, for about 10 years. So it's in Eritrea, it's in the Danakil Depression, and it's in East Africa. So if you go directly to the east of us, you're near the Red Sea. If you go directly to the west and the south, that's Ethiopia. So Eritrea runs along the Red Sea, the west coast of the Red Sea. We did a PFS on the project. Um, that was about eight years ago. Then we went on to a DFS. We followed that up with a feed study. And as Rod said, we've been working on refinements and understanding more about how to make the SOP from our war for the last, well, actually the last couple of years. And Rod has really been critical to that for just over the last year. The key thing for us for a long time, outside of the technical thing, which is understanding exactly how to make SOP in the most effective way from our ore, has of course been the funding. I was on Crux a while ago talking with Matt, and that was the big topic then. Um, I'm happy to talk about it at any time, but I think today's real focus is the technical side of things. So you know that's why I'm so happy that Rod's here, because Rod knows the technical side of things and... He is the critical man to answer, especially difficult questions on technical things. Oh, well, I'm, I'm not um, equipped to ask difficult questions. I've only got the easy question program um, chip in my head today. Um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. I'll try my hardest for the difficult questions. But the, um, we will come on to funding and we will come on to politics because it is such an important uh, feature of, uh, you know, the Danakali investment case. Um, but... Uh, Rod, have you got, could you just kind of orientate me in terms of kind of a map? Have you, can you just show me where, where the project is and perhaps we can take it from there? Sure, absolutely. So here, I'll put up my, pull up my, I'll share my screen. I mean, it's, it's absolutely massive, isn't it? I, um, you know, your, your reserve is, is 1.1 billion tonnes. It is. It's 1.1 billion tonnes and that equates to about 200 million tonnes of SOP. To put that in a world market context, annual production and demand is about 7 million tonnes. So, you know, we often talk about producing a million tonnes a year for 200 years. Another way to look at it is we could supply the entire world current demand for 30 years. Um, 
we obviously won't do that, but it is a massive deposit, really not comparable to anything else in the SOP space. If you want to think about what it's like, it's about the same as having an 88 million ounce gold deposit open cut at surface running at two grams a tonne. That's about what it's like. Of course, there's nothing like that, but that's Kaluli. So, Rod, are you ready to go on that map? Or, um, yes, uh, we, yeah, I am. I'll call well, it up. Well, why don't you pull it up and then um, we, can, we, can, we can talk about it. Um, 88 million ounces. Um, that's, that's a bit like Murantau, isn't it? Well, I mean, I don't know Murantau, but I know that if you look at the Golden Mile in Kalgoorlie, you know, one of the richest places producing gold for the last 125 years, up until now, from when they started, they haven't produced 88 million ounces. They've produced just under 70 million ounces. So I'd be pretty happy if I had half of the Golden yeah. Mile for the last 125 years. Yeah, yeah, good. Okay, so this is Eritrea. Thank you. Um, um, look at that, Asmara. Um, and uh, so where's, where's Kaluli? Okay, so uh, th this is uh, Eritrea. And uh, to the, uh, it's slightly to the east of uh, Ethiopia and Sudan on, on the Red Sea, as, uh, as Seamus mentioned. Uh, Asmara, the capital city, uh, is here in the highlands. And Kaluli, can you see my cursor? Yes, we can. Oh, perfect. Um, and so, yeah, Kaluli is right here where my cursor is now. And so about 200 and... Um, 200 and, um, oh no, hang on, sorry. Uh, so Kaluli is here, and then the potash will, or sorry, the SOP will initially be trucked to port, and that's a distance of 270 kilometers. So it'll be the, it'll be trucked from Kaluli to the port at Masawa. Okay, but and, and before, before we get, we get onto that, so I can see that there's a, there's a minus um, topographic marking at Kaluli. So this is very much part of the Danakil Depression. This is the, the kind of the, the rifting of, um, um, of the East African Rift, the kind of the northern extension of the East African Rift. And so this is a, this is a, a negative um, topographic expression. Uh, yes, that, the, you're, that's correct. Uh, the elevation is around a hundred mi minus 110, I think, meters uh, below sea level, uh, which which contributes to it being a you know a, a really really hot climate. I, I've heard it's one of the hottest places on Earth, uh, and so yeah, that contributes to to the temperature there. It's a very very hot and dry climate, which for people like us that have a process that relies on or that uses solar ponds as, for evaporation, that's, that's perfect. That's a great fit for us. And um, when, when was this um, deposit laid down? So, I mean, I, I read in your, on your website that it's the youngest, you know, it's a very young evaporitic basin, this whole Danakali um, depression all the way down to the south of where your mouse is now. Um, you know, are, are we talking a few million years old? Um. I'm not a, I'm not 100% sure on the on the geology. Um, I think it's about 50 or 60 million years old. Uh, Seamus, uh, can can you add to that? Oh, sorry. Uh, I think it depends on which geologist you ask, uh, Merlin. And you know, with all due respect to geologists, you can get three opinions from two geologists. But it is a fairly young um, evaporative deposit. I've heard anything from 10 to 50 million years ago. I, I don't know if anyone knows exactly, but relative to some of the others, and the, given the fact how shallow it is, 
I think that sort of suggests it is relatively new because the whole basin is a giant evaporative deposit and there's relatively little uh, clay soil cover on top. You know, you're yep. talking sort of 10 metres thick, which suggests that it's very young. Okay. And uh, yeah, absolutely, in geological terms. Um, so, um, sorry, Rod, I interrupted you. You were talking about trucking from um, Kaluli to Masawa. And in, uh, longer term, I see you've got a kind of a plan for a port on the north coast, but are you saying that stage one would just be trucks on the road to Masawa? That, that's correct. Stage one uh, will, will be uh, trucked uh, in containers uh, to the port at Masawa, it's a distance of about uh, 250, 270 kilometers. In the longer term, in, in subsequent phases, uh, the plan is to build a port at Anfil Bay, which is uh, about here. And that then reduces the distance to uh, about 75 kilometers. So it really has a positive impact on reducing the trucking. Okay. And is, is it still fair to say around 10 cents per tonne per kilometre? Um, perhaps maybe you could um, take the, the, the map off now. Um, uh, I know we've got fuel inflation. I know there's um, uh, ongoing fuel inflation, but are you talking about 10 cents per tonne kilometre as, kind of as, a, as a rule of thumb? Um, uh, 10 cents per tonne per kilometre. I think our cost domestically is a bit higher than that, Merlin, because of, you know, at the, in the current environment, lack of competitive haulage if you know what i mean so it's actually a little bit higher than that okay so you're talking kind of 30 to 40 dollars per ton to get it to the um is is, is, yep. is that right yeah yep yep but it's it's yeah. not it's not australian level costs at the moment which is yeah. why it's so important to, to you know in the future to get that anfila bay uh, export facility in place it reduces the distance it lets us send bigger trucks because it's not on public highway. I mean, for most of that journey from Kaluli to uh, Masawa, as it's planned, we're using the National Coastal Highway. And there's limitations there on how many tons you can send through as well. So, you know, there's a number of factors, including like lack of competitive haulage, the, the limitations on the tonnage that you can send up that National Coastal Highway that make it more expensive than 10 kilometres a ton, 10 cents a and ton kilometre. Um, and how, how how many years do you see that um, as being kind of a, the, the the key exit route for? Kind of when does stage two kick in in terms of the engineering and the and the port and your your independent infrastructure? Well, we've done a PFS already on the port at Anfield Bay, so we know what it costs and we know that it's the feasible and the best location in the vicinity. So I'd expect from the time we got into production, it'd be under five years before we would be looking at module two and moving that out of Anfila Bay rather than sending double the trucks up that coastal highway. That, that, that's yeah. not something that we want to do. Okay. And so initial CapEx is 300 million or $302 million as per the feed study. And, and so that's just to get you up and running. And then from there, you're self-financing. From there, we're self-financing, you know, in terms of the way we've run the model. So when we talk about module one and module two, and we, and we model that, We've modelled it on the basis that module two is self-financed. So, and our, our assumption is that because all ports in Eritrea are government-owned and government-run up to now, that the government will own and run that port. And, right. you know, we'd pay the same usage fees, but our haulage costs would be massively reduced. And um, presumably you'd have, you'd have a, uh, an interactive role on, on designing and construction of that port. 
you might even absolutely be- because we'd be the best customer. In fact, we'd probably be the only customer of any real real size for you yeah. know, for the foreseeable future. Good. Well, um, can we get into the process? Can we go from um, from ore to product? Have you, um, Rod? Have you got a, um, a an easy way to to show that visually, or do you want to just talk me through it? Uh, sure. Yeah. If you don't mind, I'll share my screen. Uh, I have a few slides here that might be helpful. Can I just say as a layman while Rod's getting his slides that this is really interesting. I mean, I've talked, I've had the benefit of talking with Rod a lot about this and it's it's actually really interesting. I never thought I'd say that about chemistry, but it, it actually is. Okay, so here's, uh, here's our process at Kaluli for converting the ore into potassium sulfate. Um, we are fortunate at Kaluli to have three minerals. Uh, the first one is canite or, or canatite, as the geologists would say, which is a double salt of, of KCl and magnesium sulfate. Um, now, at Kaluli, what is um, unique about Kaluli is we also have uh, potash. We, we have KCl or sylvanite ore, and we have a carnelite ore, which we can convert. That's really easy to convert into KCl. So we have. Um, sorry, can I, sorry, can yep. I just stop you there? These are different stratigraphic levels, and you are able to, in your mining process, you're able to extract them both at the same time by uh, advancing your pit in different places at different levels. Exactly. Yeah. There's there's a series of different stratigraphic levels: sylvanite, carnelite, uh, and and kyanite, and they're they're separate. We 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 develop we've developed a mine plan. So we, we mine them in an orderly fashion uh, and um, transport them to the, uh, to the, to the plant's uh, run of mine stockpile. Yeah. And, and I, I know these are all evaporite rocks, which therefore can get, they can be reversed. They can be put back into solution the other way around. Um, but are they all stable enough at atmospheric conditions if you strip and I don't know if you've got a summer, a, a rainfall event or moisture event. Um, how stable are they? You know, is, is it is it does it work having those three different um, ore types exposed to the atmosphere at the same time? Ah, yeah, no, that's a good question. So um, there, there, there are some concerns with that uh, with with our mine plan. Uh, yeah, uh, sylvanite uh, and uh, the kyanite ore are, um, they're, they're fine. If, if it rains on it and then it sits for a couple of weeks, it'll tend to cake up, but that's fine. You work it a bit and it'll move. Um, the carnelite is, is, a, is a bit of a concern. It, it, it will slowly um, absorb moisture from the air uh, and, and get converted into a brine. So you don't want it sitting out there for weeks and months and years on end. Having said that, Kaluli is an extremely dry place. Yeah, so, I was going to say it's not much. There's not much um, atmospheric moisture in, in the that, Delicali well, depression. That, that, that's that's right. So we, w when there is the occasional rainfall, we do have plans for pit dewatering and making good use of that uh, water. Um, and um, so th there are, um, yeah, the the, the carnelite. It, it ha we have to be aware of it. We have to manage it. Um, there's another mineral that's in there that, that's uh, a byproduct um, uh, called bishophyte, which is also uh, deliquescent. And so we've developed plans for effective 
mining management of that so that we don't have uh, any major problems with, uh, with moisture uptake. Thank you. Sorry for the interruption. Oh, no problem. Anytime. And so uh, basically what our process is, we, we will mine these, these different um, layers uh, and feed them into the plant. The kaonite ore will be upgraded to pure kaonite or, or actually in the process, to be precise, it gets converted to an, into a similar mineral, leonite. But um, the, the main thing is we need to recover it, uh, upgrade it, and then we will simply react it with the potash. The, the reaction of these two minerals together will, will give us SOP. When you say upgrade it, is that a, um, a physical process? Is it a washing? Um, presumably you don't want to use too much water. So is it a crush and a grind and an aggregate? You know, is, is it, um, you know, how, when you say upgrade it, what, what does that involve? Yeah. Okay. So uh, the, the upgrading is, is, is really very similar to uh, potash mining uh, done all over the world. Uh, what we need to do is we need to uh, crush it and screen it down to a certain size. And that's part of the work we've done over the last year. We've determined exactly how fine do we need to, to grind the ore to. Uh, so we figured that out. Once it's crushed to the right size, uh, then we use frost flotation to, um, to separate the KCL from the NACL. Or in the case of the kaonite, uh, we separate the leonite from the NACL. Uh, but yeah, froth flotation, uh, th this, this flotation is done in a saturated brine, similar to what's done in the world of potash. So you develop a saturated brine, you slurry your ore in it while you crush it, while you deslime it, while you float it, um, and then you recover and recir recycle, recirculate that brine for, for recovery purposes. And it stays in suspension, it never goes into solution. Um, yes, that's, that, well, okay, Let, let's be careful here. When you first start the plant up, you'll dissolve a little bit, uh, yeah. but, by and large, but then that goes into the brine, the brine gets recirculated. Once the plant's at steady state, then uh, the, the ore gets crushed, it gets slurried as a pulp in the saturated brine, and no, it doesn't go into solution. It's recovered uh, as a solid by, um, uh, from the pulp by flotation and centrifuging. Now, just one more layer I want to add on that. Sorry, I, I hope I'm not going into too much detail. But one more layer on that I want to be clear is the, both the, the carnalite and the kaonite uh, do react with water. That's part of the process. So the carnalite gets decomposed. Uh, in, in water, in the brine, uh, and, and it precipitates out as KCL. So just to be, to be, to be clear on that, if, if that okay. makes sense. So, and yes, and on this screen here, where, where is the carnalite in the process? Ah, okay. Uh, the, uh, th this is a simplified uh, high-level summary. And so the carnalite gets converted to KCL, and then recovered. Okay. So it, it okay. sylvanite and carnalite are both here. I can show okay. you the flow, the flow sheet. No, 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 this is good. Sorry, I was, um, and, uh, it's, it's just, just for, for my benefit. So the, the, the carnalite and the sylvanite, as you say, react in the brine and they become part of this KCL. 
And and that KCL, is that what you call muriate of potash? Is that what MOP stands for? That's correct. Yeah, it's KCL. Okay, just KCL. MOP is just KCL. Okay. Um, so if it's okay, Merlin, can I go on and show you then yeah, the, yeah. the conversion? Okay, perfect. So um, I'm just going to skip ahead in my presentation we, to, the, to the conversion reaction. Okay, uh, can you see that uh, yeah. reaction? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. so... It's um, we're, we're, we're so fortunate at Kaluli because we have the two minerals. Uh, if you don't have the KCL, uh, you have kyanite, which is what most producers have. You can still make SOP, but you wind up having to add a lot of water you want, and some heat. You wind up having to crystallize uh, and you wind up with lower conversion efficiency. So we're really lucky here. Here's all what we have to do. Uh, we take the... From froth flotation, we have recovered KCL or MOP, um, and, and that comes came from the sylvanite and carnelite ore. We also have recovered leonite, and that is what we recovered by flotation from the uh, canite ore. We mix those two together in the right ratio, as, as dictated by the chemistry, uh, and then what we do is we simply pulp them together. Uh, in a brine now, and I'll come. I'll come back to the the brine chemistry in a minute here, because that's where the the secret is, or that's the the, the important bit. Uh, and what we do is we pulp them together in a series of agitated tanks, um, and then we recover the solids by centrifuge. Yep. Okay. Uh, then what we do is we repulp. Uh, so we take those solids, we repulp them in seawater. Pulp for uh, a certain length of time, displace the brine because we don't want the contaminants uh, from the brine. We want the brine to be as pure as possible. So we'll displace the brine with fresh seawater and recover those solids um, as, as pure SOP product. Now, Here's the nice thing about the work we've done in the last year. This process that I'm sharing with you is um, will 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 work. It will convert our leonite and, K and KCL mixture into nice high purity SOP, and we can achieve that conversion with seawater only. Uh, in earlier, like five, ten years ago, when they started looking at Kaluli. This process was going to run on reverse osmosis or, or purified and expensive uh, water. We can do this with seawater only. And the, the kind of the, the, the trick to it is we add the seawater predominantly in this second stage when we're trying to drive the process to completion as much as possible uh, to get really nice high purity. We do that with fresh seawater. Then the seawater, the, the brine that results from this second stage gets recirculated back to the first stage. Uh, and then it goes back actually into the, the, the uh, canite processing. We, we make good use of the same water. It's, it's called a counter current flow. So we use the purest seawater at the end of the process 
recycle it back to the front end of Leonite conversion, and then recycle it back further upstream in the plant. And by doing this, um, we, can, we can achieve a direct quantitative conversion of these, the, the Leonite and the KCL into SOP, and we can consistently make uh, really good quality material. And thank you. Um, and just looking down the right-hand side of this image, you talk about a Leonite concentrate, a KCL concentrate, and the SOP product. Um, is the SOP product the your commercial output and the Leonite concentrate and the KCL concentrate used in the process, or do you can you sell the Leonite and the KTL as well? Ah, okay. Uh, so the yes, the SOP product is our number one product. Uh, that's our main product, 472,000 tons a year. Uh, that's our, our bread and butter. Um, there, there are possibilities from Kaluli. Uh, the, the KCL could be recovered and sold as MOP. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, the right grade and it's exactly the right stuff. Uh, something like Leonite could be converted into SOPM, uh, which is another, another product. And so uh, at Kaluli, you know, uh, we, we will look uh, at options for making other, other products, other byproducts in the long term. Uh, but in the short term, our focus has been SOP is the real moneymaker. And so let, we've been focusing on kind of a direct path from ore to SOP as our number one priority. Great. Thank you. Um... Seamus, when it comes to kind of um, this whole process and the output figure of 472,000 tons per annum of SOP, um, clearly the asset can produce much more. You know, it can, it can flood the market. So you had a series of kind of gating decisions to make to right side stage one. Could you just talk me through what some of those decisions were? Um, market, capital, port, road. Yeah, those, those were the key gating items, uh, Merlin. You've hit it exactly. So obviously we needed to pay attention to the size of the market because, it, you know, you've made the point. If we produce 472,000 tonnes, we could actually do that for over 400 years. So, you, yeah. you know, you don't do that. Um, but you need to be very conscious of what the market is. So, you know, the, the annual world addressable market is about 7 million tonnes. But if you look at our time zone, and our time zone, you know, I would say is, is Europe, around the Med, Middle East and Africa. That's kind of our time zone over to India. That is about a 2 million tonne per year market currently. Obviously, that's you know expected to grow rapidly, but we had to take that into account. Capital was the next thing. We needed to recognise that you know with a, a Greenfields operation in the Danik Hill, um, there hasn't been, uh, as far as I'm aware, outside of China, any successful SOP project anywhere in the world for a couple of decades. So, you know, we had to deal with that question. We're starting up, we're in the Danakil, we're in Eritrea. It's fair to say capital is not being thrown at us. So we had to try to manage, um, you know, the capital that could be raised, the market. And then, of course, part of the capital decision was around, do we want to go to the um, extent of building our own port or should we use the existing port facility at Masawa, which is a really good port facility? And so the decision was made, no, we'll use the existing facility. That makes sense. But then you have a limitation on the number of tons that you can send up the road. 
with the trucking limitations that I talked about before. So all of those things factored into it on the basis that the critical point for us is to get the project up and running and show that we're producing 472,000 tonnes roughly. And from that point, it grows extremely rapidly. Then you've overcome the critical constraints on, on any new project, you know, yeah. market size, product, capital, yeah. access to infrastructure. Once you have those sorted out and it's working, you can then grow rapidly and we can self-fund it. So that, 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 they're the, really the key issues, Melon. You, you hit on them exactly. Great. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't expect um, any less. <laughs> um, so in just in terms of market size, you know, uh, almost 500,000 tonnes in the 2 million tonne market. So you'd be growing kind of by 25%, which for a new entrant with, with the demand profile, I can completely see that's fine. Um, 480,000 tonnes per annum, more or less. You're talking 40,000 tonnes per month, 10,000 tonnes per week, 2,000 tonnes a day for five days. Um, which is, um, and w what size trucks are you looking at? Ah, so um, when we do, it's basically 40 ton trucks going up the road. That's, you can only so send one container, Merlin. So it's a truck every yeah. 20 minutes. Okay. Okay. Give, well, there we go. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so amazing. you can see why we wouldn't want to double that, right? You yeah. 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 That, you that, that doesn't make sense then. Yeah. Oh, it's just such great, such a great project. And I, I see you've got an MPV of kind of a, um, 900 million tons. So let's call it a billion in this market. Um, um, what what kind of EBITDAs does stage one produce? What kind of annual um, earnings does it generate? Uh, for, well, if you talk about Danakali, right? So you're talking about the investment case. Um, yeah. So the investment case is Danakali. We're about on module one, US $43 million a year, free cash flow to us after tax, after debt. That comes to us. So that's not too bad um, in terms of what we get as Denica. That's US, so 60 million Aussie. Okay. So, so and, and if you can trade on, I don't know, 10 or 12 times kind of dividend, you're talking $400, $500 million company. Uh, basically just yeah. as without any of the optionality on the long on the long term um good okay well um i mean it's it's, it's i've always liked the project um politics and capital politics and debt um i forget is it still on the is it still on the sanction list in the us or um because there's the uh, there's this whole ethiopian angle which is so driven by kind of Western policymakers, which has skewed um, people's view uh, of Eritrea. I just kind of, can you just talk to me kind of where it is now in, in kind of international acceptance and is the instability in West Africa making meaning that there's more capital available for kind of um, East African projects? Is the AFC supporting you? What you got? Yeah, I can, I can do that. I mean, that's a really long topic, but I'll give it as, uh, you know, I'll try to keep it to the right length of time for the format, Merlin, you know. So, yeah, Eritrea was under UN sanctions until late 2018. So the UN sanctions, you know, ostensibly had nothing to do with mining. But anyone who's been in this space knows that if you say, you know, a country name and then you say UN sanctions, you're already cutting out many, many investors just with those two comments, regardless of what the sanctions are actually about. So that was the case. Um, those sanctions were lifted uh, in late 2018. 
Subsequent to that, we managed to sign up uh, some senior secured project debt with AFC, 100 million, and AfriExim Bank, another 100 million. That was done late 2019. So that was really significant to get that first 200 million of senior debt, um, normal project finance debt, nothing unusual, um, was really significant. We signed that up late 2019. You know, early 2020, you know, first quarter, we're ready to go out. We've, we've got equity as well committed from AFC on top of that. Uh, everyone knows what happened in February, March 2020. Boom, COVID comes, markets collapse, everyone gets nervous, and we're still in, well, certainly in Australia, dealing with the COVID mess. So that was a real, uh, for us, how to, I'll say it as nicely as I can, very bad timing uh, in terms of us closing out the equity piece, having just secured, you know, two-thirds of the funding through very standard senior debt from great, reliable African-focused lenders being Africa Finance Corp, AFC and AfriExim Bank. Um, you know, we were, we're working through that. Unfortunately, uh, November last year, the US decided that they would put some sanctions on a couple of individuals and some entities in Eritrea. Again, nothing to do with us, nothing to do with any of our uh, joint venture partner, but you say the words US Treasury sanction and the name of a country, and again, you're cutting out a bunch of potential investors. So bad timing. The, the, the available pool of capital for us, for the development uh, on the equity side is, is definitely, and without doubt, there's no point hiding from it, limited by those sanctions. Is, is it... Is it Isaiah Fuerki? Is he? Uh, have, have they named the president of the US? Or no, they, they haven't. They have not named the president. They've named um, the the head of the economy in the country um, and the major import export company. So they're focusing on the political party, um, the PFDJ, and key people in that, rather than the, the president himself or you know anyone else. But nonetheless, these are quite targeted and intended to stop foreign investment from countries that are connected to the US. There's, there's no denying that. I mean, any person, and I'll be, I'll be straight about it, like I was last time making my call on BHP, any US diplomat or US politician who says that these sanctions are not meant to affect the ordinary person and they're not meant to limit you know, investment in mining, they're either lying blatantly or they're really stupid. And for some of them, it could be both right? Yeah. <laughs> Let, let's not go into it. So, but it's definitely limiting. And what it means is the available pool of capital, yes, limited. But fortunately for us, you don't have to draw too many dots to connect the dots and say, well, there's three operating projects, well, two operating mines in Eritrea and one under development. That isn't Kaluli. The major foreign investor in all of those is China, China companies. So you look at the countries that do not get concerned by US sanctions and you're looking at China and Russia. Go figure. I don't, you know, su surprise, surprise. Um, we're talking to a lot of people, including some others in the Middle East. Um, I was extremely confident middle of last year. I came on, you know, with Crux, talked about it. If it wasn't for those US Treasury sanctions in November, we would have closed the funding deal. Um, we're still working, but we're working with different parties with different motivations now. Yeah. Well, great. Well, good luck. And um, 
uh, it yeah. feels like a, a, a relatively short-sighted view by the Americans to um, cut their nose off to spite the face, so to speak. It could either be, it's either that or shooting their, themselves in the foot. I don't know which one they prefer. But anyway, um, you know, the critical thing that I think is being missed here by a lot of people is, you know, that we, we have Kaluli in joint venture with Anamco and it's 200 years mine life at, you know, uh, a million tonnes of SOP a year. If you look at the basin, and there is no denying that the Danakil is a massive future potash producing basin. We have 200 million tonnes. There's at least a billion tonnes of potash in that basin. But oh, you, I... cannot, you can't get to it without Kaluli. So whoever ends up being in a joint venture with Anamco, our current joint venture partner, developing Kaluli, has the entire basin. So they probably have a thousand years of potash production. It's it's really um, it's that simple and that stark. And what those U.S. Treasury sanctions mean is that no U.S. or North American or you know most of Western Europe country companies are going to be able to be that investor. They're not, and they're going to look back in a few years and complain and say, "Oh, why didn't we have a chance?" You did have a chance. Yeah. But it's, um, decisions were made that ruled you out. Yeah, strategic, strategic decisions being made right now. Absolutely, Melon. I mean, it's just like this question of, you know, I mean, I don't want to go off reservation here, but people complain about, you know, China's manufacturing so many cars. It wasn't Chinese executives who decided to shift the manufacture of cars to China. It was American executives and European executives who made those decisions. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. You know, I don't need to say more. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about um, Ethiopia and and the stability of that border. Um, yep. Uh, I've, I've never had the privilege of going to uh, Eritrea, uh, but I've spent a lot of time in Ethiopia and it's one of my favourite countries in Africa. And I, for me, it's a complete tragedy to see the way it's um, tearing yes. itself apart at the moment. Um, and how is that affecting your border? How does that affect the mood in, in Eritrea? Uh, look, I, I really don't want to speak for, for the Eritreans, right? I'll just, because they have very clear views on this. I'll, I'll speak for us. Where we are in Kaluli, we're very close to the border. The, the Ethiopian province that is across the border from us is Afar. It's the Afar province. And the, the people that exist on both sides of the border are the Afar people. So the focus of the, you know, the trouble, and it's been a terrible circumstance, with, you, you know, a tragedy, what's happened in in Ethiopia is in the northern part of Ethiopia, which is Tigray, which is which is not adjacent to us. It's quite a distance from us. And our our neighboring Ethiopian province is Afar. Nobody really lives there. On our side of the border, the closest village to us is about 45, 50 kilometers away back towards the sea. And on the Ethiopian side, there are the villages are about the same distance away because it's it's the Danakil. So yeah. People don't live there. Animals don't live there. Plants and, and, you know, things other than salt mites or whatever they are, they don't live there. So it, it hasn't had an impact on us in a physical sense, but clearly having that much unrest and that much uh, tragedy happening across the border, even if it's hundreds of kilometres away, it, it's not helpful. I mean, I just hope that we can, that, you know, the, the, the government and 
any other interested party in Ethiopia can resolve that as quickly as possible. Because, you know, while I'm sitting here and, and complaining about, oh, you know, it's, it's difficult to get investment, people over there are involved in terrible, life-threatening, you know, war-type situations, which is much, much worse than what we're going through. So, you know, I just hope that that can be resolved. What, what we're trying to do is important to us, but it's nothing like that. And, you know, I just leave it to the guys who deal with that all the time. We, we're trying to focus on developing Kaluli. We know the benefits it's going to bring. Um, we deal with the challenges that come along the way as best we can. And that, that's all we can do. Seamus, thank you so much for talking so openly and so kind of frankly about, you know, it's, it's no point hiding, Nolan. It's, it's, no. it's the world, right? This is what we face. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I've, I've always liked the project. Um, I've always wanted to go to um, Eritrea. Um, but I, I wish you every luck with the financing because the from a technical side of things, this just, it just stacks up every time over the last, I don't know, however many years I've been asking questions about um, Kaluli. The answers are met with a kind of a resounding positive because the, te the technical side of it stacks up so well. Um, yeah. I look forward to hearing news about the, the financing and then um, then you can be up and away. And Adam. Uh, thanks a lot, Melvin. I appreciate the, the support and the interest. I mean, I have no doubt that Kaluli is coming and, you know, 10 years, five years from now, so many people will be regretting that they didn't take the opportunity because it is going to dominate the SOP market around the world. There's nothing like it. And after it dominates SOP, it can start to expand, as Rod was saying, into other areas. It, it is... It's a once-in-a-lifetime type of asset. Maybe we just have to work a little bit harder to get the fruits of that. That's fine. I'm still yeah. young, even though I don't really look it. <laughs> You'll still be there in 200 years' time. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> Good. Um, Rod, Seamus, um, have I missed anything? Is there anything you, um, you want to get off your chest? I, I'm steady, Seamus, but... Um, um, no, I'll, no. I'll I'm going to say thanks, Melon, and hand to Rod because he, I actually I love listening to Rod. Yeah, no, uh, no, I'm uh, I'm, I'm good on um, on my end, Merlin. If there's any other questions, happy to to dive into them and uh, discuss any other technical uh, issues. No, I think um, that, that we've we've covered everything. So let's wrap it up there. I, I look forward to hearing the news during the rest of the year. Thank you very much. Thanks, Melon. I hope we can get to London sometime and uh, you know actually. Catch up face to face. <laughs>